Get ready to be inspired by the great things happening in rural education. The Rural Scoop will bring you new ideas and innovative solutions, will dive into education issues, and will highlight what's working in your rural communities. You will hear from a variety of educators, administrators, professionals, and others who will provide relevant and engaging content in each episode. And now, serving up the scoop, here's your host, Dr. Melissa Sadorf. Welcome back, Rural Scoop listeners. I'm glad that you're able to join me and my co-host, Ty White, for a great conversation with our guest, Julia Cunningham. Julia is the newly seated Director of Rural Engagement at the U.S. Department of Education, and we're looking forward during this time together to find out what's happening at the department to support rural schools and their leaders, teachers, and students. But before we get started with that, Julia, thanks so much for joining us today. I really appreciate that you're spending the time with us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to have this conversation and to also learn more from you all about the work that you're doing. Well, thank you. And and before we get into that, um, take a minute and introduce yourself and tell us about who you are and what led you to this new role that you have with the department. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So as you mentioned, I'm Julia Cunningham. I'm the Director of Rural Engagement here at the department. Uh, And so just a little bit about my background. Um, I am from rural upstate New York. I'm from a small town about 40-ish minutes outside of Syracuse called Casnovia. Um, And from age 12 on, I kind of split my time between Cas and Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And so I graduated from school up in Syracuse, went to undergrad in Fordham at Fordham University, uh, which if you're not aware is right in the middle of the Bronx. And so was quite an adjustment from kind of my uh, dairy farm community to to the Bronx. And, um, you know, it was kind of my first exposure really to, to a lot of those differences. And so after undergrad, I uh, w- became a teacher. And so I taught middle school writing uh, fifth through eighth grade, all, all of the classes, since it was such a small school, uh, on the Pine Ridge Reservation in Allen, South Dakota, so southwestern South Dakota, a little school called American Horse School. Um, and when I was there, I really got interested in you know, rural communities and rural schools and the symbiotic relationship between the two, and particularly how that impacts teachers um, and, and their recruitment and their retention, and as well as the, the policy that really shapes rural schools and rural communities and their relationship. And so that led to me going to get my master's. I got my master's in education policy um, at the Harvard Ed School. And while I was there, I uh, myself and a number of my classmates started the Rural Ed Alliance, um, which I think is actually still going on today, but I really just became so passionate about what rural communities have to teach us. And, you know, I think we approach it so often from what can we do to help rural communities? What can we do to support them? And not so much from, you know, what can we learn from them and what can we, what can we take away from their practices? And so after that, I I went back to North Carolina. I was there for about five years in, uh, at a nonprofit called the Hunt Institute and worked with state legislators on education policy around the country there. Um, Actually, the Hunt Institute is named after Governor Jim Hunt, who was from rural North Carolina and was known as the education governor. And so was really glad to be able to you know, continue his legacy in a small way. 
So uh, I've been in this position, uh, Director of Rural Engagement, since mid-March, and I'm just so excited to really um, uplift all of this great work that is happening and, uh, and, and keep it moving forward and make sure that everyone knows that the department is really prioritizing the voice of rural communities. You know, the first question that I had wanted to ask you about was about what draws you to rural communities. But you you told something there in that introduction that I think really makes that a relevant question because you went and got your educational degree from Fordham University in the Bronx. And I think that's a kind of a common refrain. A lot of universities are centered in urban centers. And then it's hard for people who go through the educational programs to know or be aware or understand what rural needs are. How did you go from from studying at Fordham University to teaching in South Dakota? Yeah, I get that question a lot. You're probably not surprised by that. <laughs> but my first two years of teaching were through Teach for America. And uh, then I stayed on for an additional two years. And when I was selecting where I wanted to go uh, and where, you know, what I felt would be the biggest impact for me personally, I actually only selected rural communities um, and only said that I would go to rural communities. I think there was one exception. Um, And I did that because I really missed that feeling of being in a community and being part of a community. Uh, You know, my family is from this town in New York that we've had family members there since the 1800s. And I wanted that sense of of place again. And that was very important to me. And I also knew that in terms of family engagement and student engagement, it's a lot more meaningful as a teacher coming into a new community if you are a member of their parents' bowling league, which I was, um, or (laughs) a, um, you know, going to cattle brandings or, you know, going to these community events, being part of uh, the family life. And that was a very important factor for me. Yeah, Julia, one of the recognitions that the department really has coalesced around for funding is REAP funding, the Rural Education Achievement Programs. It's hugely important to rural school communities that they have that funding. And there's two different opportunities within that grant, uh, both the uh, RLIS, the Rural Low Income School Entitlement Grants, as well as the SRSA, the Small Rural School Achievement Grants. Can you talk a little bit more about REAP funding and what those funds can be used for if there are rural leaders out there that have not yet tapped into that opportunity? Yeah. So the REAP program, like you mentioned, it's kind of sometimes lumped together as one program, but it's actually two separate programs. They, um, are really designed to address the unique needs of rural schools and rural LEAs, I should say, that it may lack the personnel, the resources to compete effectively for federal competitive grants, um, and that often receive allocations in, in smaller amounts that may not be able to be uh, used for their intended criteria because of um, you know the formula numbers and, and whatever else it may be. And so, you know, I know there's a lot of different uses for uh, for REAP grants. And I know that some leaders uh, use it for personnel. Some leaders use it for uh, technology. Um, There's really, it can be used in a a wide array. Um, And so 
the main difference between the two grants is really how they're distributed and their eligibility criteria. And so RLIS, so tricky one, uh, is uh, it, it goes directly to state ed agencies, to SEAs, and then is administered as subgrants to LEAs. And so um, th- that one, you statutorily, your, dis- your LEA needs to be low income and rural. And so that means that 20% or more of the children, five through 17, uh, need to be co- come from families below the poverty line. And the LEA needs to be in a locale code of 32, 33, 41, 42, or 43. Um, also, if your state defines your LEA as rural, that also can count even if you're not maybe in a federal rural designation. Um, and then the small rural school, um, those ones, those are made directly to LEAs. And so those ones have the benefit of, you know, maybe cutting out a little bit of the middleman and, and being able to get that direct uh, allocation. And so those ones, as you can probably guess by the name, small and rural is the statutory requirement there. And so it needs to have an average daily attendance of 600 fewer, 600 students or fewer, um, or the county that it serves needs to have a population density of fewer than 10 students per square mile. Uh, so those are two grants. Those are some of the differences between the two. Um, and really, there's a lot of flexibility on what they can be used for. And the main purpose is that they be used for, for uh, resources and for personnel and for supports that may be available to other schools through other federal programs, but uh, are harder to access for rural communities because of the the differences in allocation amounts and the you know formula percentages and all of that. Yeah, as a beneficiary of the SRSA grant, I can tell you that it is highly important that we have those dollars. And we do use it for our technology programming here in uh, Stanfield in Arizona. And so I just, I appreciate the fact that the department recognizes that those smaller LEAs don't have the capacity to often compete for those federal dollars in a way that urban and suburban districts can. So it is, it is highly important that if you're a rural leader and you're not familiar with REAP grants, uh, that you reach out to your uh, SEA. There's always a point of contact available at your state education uh, department that can help you with getting more information, or you can reach out to the department itself. They do have a REAP office that's available to uh, answer those questions if you have them. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just give a plug for the REAP team. They have been so supportive of me as I've been transitioning in. So I can't even imagine how supportive they are when it's actually in their job description. (laughs) So I highly encourage everyone to reach out to them with any questions you have. And um, I know that they can be more specific about some of those ways that districts are using funds, um, which I I find very interesting to learn about. If if a state doesn't have a REAP team or has decided not to participate in the program, that an LEA can actually become a specially qualified agency, an SQA, oh. and still be able to access those funds. Yeah, and and I think that's also so important because you know we we sometimes hear that the support at the state level maybe isn't always um, as as strong as some of the LEAs need it, and so really love that there's the opportunity for LEAs to kind of take that into their own hands a little bit. While we're talking about funding anyways, I guess I'd like to ask you if there's any other grant or funding opportunities where leaders should be aware of. 
And, and I, I want you to answer that, but I also want to throw out there a common issue in rural communities is on um, broadband access. And so specifically, is there money available to help with something like that? For broadband, the Office of Education and Technology, they have been working so hard to make sure that there's uh, supports available here. And so um, really encourage you to check out the Office of Education Technology's webpage and look into what programs they have available now. Um, and I also think that you know, oftentimes as, as education people, we say, I need to look at the Department of Ed, I need to look at the Department of Ed. Um, and I'm sure most of your listeners already know this, but uh, USDA, um, FCC, you know, all, a lot of other federal agencies have a ton of broadband uh, programs available. Um, they're actually, a USDA just announced uh, an effort uh, to really increase broadband supports throughout the country. So highly encourage people to look into that. Um, all part of, you know, the, the administration's really investing in America efforts to, to make sure that everyone has the connections that they need to really be successful. Um, a little bit separately from broadband, there's a few that the department has out right now that really align with um, some of our most recent priorities that we're really excited about. Uh, so actually on Monday, I'm not sure if you saw, uh, the department released two infrastructure related grants, um, which is, is actually pretty unusual for the department. So we're, we're thrilled about those. So one is um, Supporting America's School Infrastructure Program, or SASE, which I like that acronym, <laughs> um, and the National Center on School Infrastructure, or NCSI. Uh, so SASE is to increase the capacity of states to support high-need LEAs and schools in leveraging federal, state, local resources for improving school facilities. So uh, really important there because I know that we've seen uh, over the last few years just so many rural schools that are struggling to access the, the infrastructure uh, funding that they need. And a lot of schools that have really um, unsafe learning conditions sometimes, you know, and, and I say that personally from experience <laughs> and, and want to make sure that people know about this opportunity to, to really improve their school environments. NCSI is actually uh, looking to establish a national clearinghouse on school infrastructure. And so this will provide resources, technical assistance to grantees in the program um, who are looking to leverage available resources to improve public school facilities for, for all their students. Um, so those just wanted to make sure everyone knows about those two because they were just released and, um, you know, trying to spread the word on them. Um, but I, I've got a whole list of them here. I don't want to, you know, just ramble them off. But um, another one that I also want to make sure teachers are aware about because it's exciting uh, is the Your Place in Space Challenge, uh, which was released in March and goes through October 30th. And so this one's really fun. Um, high school teams are invited to submit entries to demonstrate a product or a service that will contribute to space missions. Uh, and Ty, I especially wanted to make sure you knew about this one. <laughs> and so teachers can really kind of begin here in the summer to explore the website, uh, browse the resource section uh, to prepare lessons and, and challenges for the upcoming year. And then in the fall, you know, work with their students um, in these teams to create a design. And so we're really excited about that one. It really aligns with some of the partnerships that we've uh, released recently with NASA and we've signed an MOU with NASA. And so uh, thrilled about that coming up. Um, and then I'll just kind of couple other ones I just want to quickly mention. 
Um, the Education Innovation Research Grant just recently opened up. Um, very important for you know making sure that best practices are being shared. Um, and the Native American Teacher Retention Initiative also just opened up. And so um, you know that that one I think is particularly important for making sure that uh, Native teachers are being supported and that you know those classroom environments are uh, conducive to to them staying in, in the profession. Ty, it looks like you have your summer homework. Yeah, I think I got a whole bunch to look into right now, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so Julia, your position at the department has been vacant for uh, several years, and we are super excited that you're in the position now. And I uh, look forward to working with you as we move forward. But coming into this opportunity with the department, what are the pressing needs that you are trying to address and what are the goals for your rural strategy and action team? Yeah, so I'll start with my position specifically, and then I'll get to the, the rural strategy and action team. So, um, you know, as you mentioned, there hasn't been someone in this position for a while. And so my first priority is really making sure that we're, we're getting out there and we're hearing from as many people as we can um, and, and making sure that the, the rural voice is being heard at the department not just with me, but with, you know, as many senior leaders within the department as I can get in front of rural leaders. Um, and so there, there's there's just so much great work happening. And, you know, so often we as a society approach rural work from a deficit mindset. And so I just want to make sure that we're being very intentional about framing the rural conversation and, and looking at rural communities uh, from what they have to offer and that we're listening to their needs and their intelligence and their uh, research to, to really move our work forward. Um, additionally, on the flip side, I want to make sure that rural communities know what we're doing. Um, and so, you know, in January, Secretary Cardona announced the Raise the Bar initiative, which is really kind of his, uh, the, the department's priorities for the foreseeable future. And so um, there's kind of six buckets that the department is really prioritizing. And I think all of them are so relevant for rural communities. So if you'll uh, indulge me for one second. Please. <laughs> um, uh, so the first one is, you know, accelerate learning for every student. And so making sure that every student has what they need to, to stay on track based on the interruptions that happened during the pandemic. And this is particularly relevant for rural communities uh, because of so many of those challenges that arose, the, the tech access, the um, challenges getting students in the classroom, um, any HVAC issues that you know come from being in a school with uh, HVAC that hasn't been updated since 1950, you know? Um, and so, uh, that one is, is so important for just making sure that students have what they need to, to stay on track. Um, and then deliver a comprehensive and rigorous education for every student. So make sure that um, not just math, reading, writing, arithmetic are being prioritized. Those are essential, of course, um, but that students are getting these space opportunities, that they're getting these science opportunities, STEM opportunities, uh, the civics education, that the um, you know, those enriching activities that I think a lot of us had that made us so passionate about learning. And so that's a huge priority and um, something that can be trickier in rural communities because of the access, the, the distance to museums, the distance to some of those enriching learning opportunities. Educator shortage. 
super relevant for this podcast topic. Um, Mm -hmm. We want to eliminate it in every school. And we know that that's highly pressing in, uh, in our rural schools and is something that looks different and has different rationale and reasons in every community. And so really getting to the, the weeds of why each community is, is having challenges, keeping teachers in the classroom um, and providing those supports. Um, and relatedly, um, investing in every student's mental health and well-being. Um, and so, you know, we hear a lot that teachers are feeling like they don't have the tools they need to support students where they are uh, emotionally. And we want to make sure that that students are getting those resources. Um, the department just announced funding that will put 14,000 more counselors into schools around the country. So um, that's it. That's incredibly important, especially after a lot of the isolation that we saw over the last few years um, with school closures and everything along those lines. And then last two, um, ensure every student has a pathway to college and career, which I know I'm preaching in the choir, but so much trickier in uh, in these more isolated communities, uh, making sure that students have those career opportunities and those exposure to real world learning um, that will prepare them for the workforce and for whatever college or career pathway they decide to take. And then finally, um, provide every student with a pathway to multilingualism. Uh, and so to be multilingual is Uh, as the secretary likes to say, a superpower um, and makes you incredibly competitive in today's economy. And so uh, not only should students who are English language learners feel supported and get what they need to to be successful, but also other students who may only speak one language need to get what they need to to learn a second language. And so, um, you know, I can say for myself, I took French for eight years and I can hold a conversation to save my life <laughs> at this point. <laughs> and uh, sorry to my French teacher, if you're listening. Um, and so um, making sure that we really have that high quality language education in every school, particularly in rural schools where it's harder maybe to find someone who's who's fluent in a language. So a very roundabout way of answering your question, but um, part of my priority is making sure that uh, everyone is aware of these priorities and that we are here to support rural communities in having the information, the resources, and the tools that they need to raise the bar in their communities. Switching over to the rural strategy and action team, um, this the second part of your question, just as a quick uh, explainer, the rural strategy and action team was formed uh, about a year ago by some people in the department who wanted to make sure that rural conversations were being heard across uh, across teams. And so um, there's people from nine different program offices within the department who are represented on the rural strategy and action team. And the team meets monthly to talk about work that they're doing as it relates to rural, um, to hear about um, feedback that we're hearing from our rural stakeholders and you know connect people with uh, those opportunities and you know those supports and to uh, get a presentation from either an internal or external stakeholder to learn a bit more about what are some of those prior, uh, those things that the department is working on or that our stakeholders are working on that we want to make sure everyone is aware of. So the the goals really are to 
knock down those barriers, those silos within the department uh, that, you know, may prevent me or may prevent someone from the REAP team about knowing about, let's say, a post-secondary grant that may be really relevant for one of my contacts or for one of the REAP grantees, um, making sure that that information is shared across teams and making sure that people who aren't on the REAP, uh, the RSAT team, too many acronyms, uh, are, are getting information that allows them to make stronger decisions for rural communities. And so we really want on the RSAT team to outline what the department's priorities should be as it relates to rural, as it relates to raise the bar and communicating those effectively across teams so that everyone has a shared understanding of what that could look like. That's so important. And for whatever reason, we tend to in educational institutions, whether they're local or state or even national, we tend to silo ourselves. So I appreciate that there is an effort to make sure that those silos are being um, eliminated to the extent possible. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's every grant, every program, everything in the department should have a rural component to it. It does have a rural component to it, I should say. And so it's important that we all acknowledge that and that we uh, make sure to really communicate those opportunities so that uh, we can loop in other groups really as needed. That's that's a lot of heavy lifting there. That's some good work being done, like she said, to break down those silos. I'm curious whether the RSAT team, that Rural Strategy and Action team, have developed any strategies for addressing teacher recruitment and retention. I know I heard you say that that's being addressed for Native teachers, and I think that's extremely valuable. There needs to be more representation in the first place. But um, what about as a larger issue across education? Yeah, absolutely. And and that's actually one of the biggest priorities for the secretary and for the, the administration is, is educator diversity, educator recruitment, educator retention, and well-being. Um, and so it's something that RSAT absolutely discusses, but it's something that really everyone at the department is talking about on a regular basis. Uh, and so, you know, you mentioned the Native American Teacher Initiative. Um, there's also uh, the, the RPED grant, which is the Rural Post-Secondary and Economic Development Grant. And so this one really focuses on the development of career pathways. And so that can include, um, you know, making sure that teacher shortages are being addressed within your particular region. Uh, and so I think that the, the department really is, is so passionate about educator diversity, particularly as it relates to recruitment and retention. And diversity doesn't always mean uh, Gen, uh, racial diversity. You know, we want to make sure that there is a diversity of rural teachers um, and that there are um, there are supports for rural teachers in the classroom, whether it be housing, whether it be extra training, whether it be, um, you know, uh, salary increases, compensation. And so uh, something that, that the department as a whole is very focused on. Um, we also have heard from a lot of our stakeholders, the successes of Grow Your Own programs. And so we are really excited about Grow Your Own programs um, around the country. It's something that we uh, encourage and something that we would love to, you know, if you have a great Grow Your Own program, tell me about it. I want to hear about it. Um, and then additionally, um, we are seeing so much work happening around the full community pipeline. And so um, making sure that the whole community is bought into um, 
this the school's health and the teacher's health and uh, the the direction of the school. And so, you know, that's why we have really prioritized in the last couple of years, the full service community school program. Um, and, you know, we've seen a lot of success with teacher belonging and teacher uh, well-being through some of these more community-oriented initiatives. And Julia, that's so important because oftentimes the rural school is the largest employer in a rural community. And so Mm -hmm. that workforce development component is really, really big for a lot of our rural uh, communities. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And and I also think that there is the gender piece of it of making sure that, you know, the, the leaders in our school are representative of the, um, the educator workforce. And so um, there historically there's been a high population of women who are teachers and historically uh, the school leadership maybe doesn't reflect that. And so I want I think that we that's something that we, we really need to look at, particularly in small communities where, um, you know, the, the where women are a major part of the educator workforce and therefore a significant part of the workforce in general in the community. Julie, can you tell our listeners about the Rural Partners Network? And if they are interested in getting involved, how does a rural community become involved with that program? Yeah. So the Rural Partners Network, it's very exciting uh, it's about a year old. It's um, part of the administration's Investing in America priorities. Um, and so the Rural Partners Network is made up of, it's run through USDA um, and is made up of about 20 federal agencies and regional commissions. Um, that And it works to expand rural prosperity through job creation, infrastructure development, workforce development, um, and community improvement. And so it it's really aiming to transform how the federal government supports rural communities, collaborates with local residents, and amplifies rural priorities. Uh, and it has this goal of inclusive, sustainable economic growth. And the other piece of it that I personally find so great is that it's so community driven and so community um, responsive. And the way that it works is the, the RPN will identify a community network and will work with that community network to develop a signature project. So I've seen ones that are around, you know, uh, building a new airport hangar in a rural community to improve workforce development and having a training center added on. Um, and then you see some that are about improving the water treatment system in the community. So there's really the whole gamut of opportunities for um for engagement with the Rural Partners Network. And each project is assigned to a lead agency who then really supports the project through identifying federal funding, whether that be ED or through any of the other 20 federal agencies that are working on this. Um, And so tries to, going back to our early point, tries to break down those silos between the different agencies um, so that we are all aware of what our offerings are and um, and that we're not just saying, focusing specifically on the ed stuff, but that we know about what's going on at labor and transportation and, and everywhere else. Like I said, it's fairly new, but it is really exciting because you really do see uh, these communities who have come together and developed these networks made up of 20 different organizations that um, are 
looking into local funding, state funding, federal funding, philanthropic dollars, and really bringing it all together in um, a way that's you know specifically addressing um, what they need and what they have identified as a need, um, which is such a key component to it rather than you know, someone coming in and saying, we've decided you need this, um, you know, because that's that's never the way to go. Um, and in terms of how these communities are identified, um, so to start off with, um, for the first two co cohorts, um, RPN identified counties based on factors like economic distress, uh, low participation in federal programs to make sure that, you know, we, we're really bringing in uh, people who who needed that support, that extra um, extra hand, I guess, uh, local capacity and readiness to participate, um, and also met in person with community leaders, and you know said, "Is this something that you want, that you need, and and that you are excited about?" Um, to make sure that there was really that passion behind it and that community drive behind it, uh, and then from there. Uh, they launched these community networks, and each cohort is about five to seven states or territories with about two to three networks in each state. So that's how the first two cohorts have been developed and identified. But the long-term goal is that every state has a network and every state has a community um, that's part of RPN. And so, um, you know, moving forward, that's really going to be a priority for the RPN group is who are those communities who have that drive who have that interest and who are able to come together and have a shared understanding of what they want their community to look like. Um, and so if it's something that if you're listening to this and you're saying, you know, that's my community, um, I really do encourage you to reach out to the RPN team. Um, they have been incredibly supportive of their communities as, um, as they've been getting their projects off the ground. And they're all really passionate about rural community development. So encourage you to reach out to them, encourage you to look at the rural.gov website um, and, you know, kind of dig into their resources and see if it sounds like something that's interesting to you. That's nice to hear about leadership through listening and really letting communities speak up about what they want and what they need. Yeah, I've been so impressed by how community driven RPN is and, um, you know, they've been hosting community meetings that, um, you know, people from the federal agencies are welcome welcome to come to, and they've been presenting on their work. Um, and it's just been really encouraging to see. So, so Julia, I don't know if you've gotten a chance to listen to too many of our podcasts, but today kind of marks a special occasion. This is always Melissa's question, and I get the opportunity. <laughs> you know, I, I appreciate you pointed out earlier in something you said that when people come the conversations about rural education, rural communities, they tend to start with a real deficit mindset. And I don't I think that helps solve problems. I don't think that really acknowledges all the assets our communities have available towards solving the problem. So mm -hmm. I get to ask you today, what does the expression rural advantage mean to you? I am going to regret saying this because my dad is going to listen and he's going to say, I told you so. And <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a very humbling moment, but um, we used to, uh, as I mentioned, my family grew up in this uh, small town and has been there for generations. And 
my friends and I used to dread going to the grocery store with my dad. And, and maybe those of you who live in rural communities can relate to this. When you're a high school student in a rural community, going to the grocery store with your dad, it takes you two hours every single time because he has to stop and talk to every single person that he <laughs> walks by and ask them about their pets and their kids and their parents. And did they finish their roof that they were repairing? And, um, you know, you just want to go home and watch TV. Um, and I now realize as an adult, unfortunately, that my dad was right. <laughs> um, my dad was, was really providing me with the skills that I needed to, uh, to hear people's stories and to understand where they were coming from and to understand, um, the, the experiences that they were going through. And so, um, I think that's, you know, what a rural advantage means to me is being able to exist in a community where you have so many differences with each other. You have so many, you know, sometimes little petty infighting or whatever it may be, but you are there for each other in your community and you know each other and you understand each other. Um, and so I think, I think that's what the rural advantage means to me. Don't you hate it when they're right? I know it's the worst. <laughs> Although I have to say as a mother, it's enjoyable when my kids come back and say, you're right. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully that circle will, will happen for me one day. <laughs> so Julia, is there anything that we haven't asked you that you want to make sure that we highlight? Yeah. So I think uh, the only thing I want to make sure people are aware of um, the rural newsletter, which was um, going out previously, it has been restarted. It's called Rural School and Community Updates, um, and that will be going out monthly on the second Thursday of each month. So actually this Thursday uh, and that you can subscribe to at ed.gov subscriptions and um, we'll provide uh, news that is relevant for the month. It will provide some of those grant opportunities that I mentioned. Uh, it will highlight some great programs that are happening around the country. Um, and off of that, I also just want everyone who's listening to know that I really do have an open door policy. Um, really encourage everyone to reach out, schedule a quick chat, uh, submit information for me to highlight in the newsletter, um, you know, whatever it may be. I, I really want to uh, connect and really want to chat. So um, please do find me, reach out, want to have those conversations. Um, and then just want to thank both of you for being so supportive as I've been coming into this role and, and really reaching out and uh, making sure that uh, I have the chance to share a little bit of my story. Well, it was our pleasure for certain. I think you do an outstanding job and I'm really grateful for you joining us today. Well, and Julia, I would be remiss if I didn't say that you are going to be our opening keynote for the Arizona Rural Schools Association annual conference that's going to be held September 14th through 16th in Flagstaff, Arizona. So if you have not already registered for that and you need to get on that because we have limited space available for those hotels. So make sure that you uh, put your registration in place and you'll have an opportunity to meet Julia in person, which will be, I know, a highlight for the conference. Thanks. Yeah. And I'll be chatting more about um, what I kind of dug into a little bit with uh, Raise the Bar. So really excited to get into that conversation and, and hear from all of you on your perspectives. Thank you so much for listening to The Rural Scoop. Please be sure to rate, 
review and subscribe, or even leave us a comment. You can check out previous episodes of The Scoop wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at Dr. Underscore Sadorf so you never miss a new release. See you next time for more great discussions about rural education. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.